here is an, a clip that, thank goodness, I will not usually say this, but thank goodness for the algorithm sometimes. The algorithm sometimes. On, on Instagram sent me this, this uh, gem. So this is oh, yeah. from uh, Sarah Silverman. And I, I like Sarah Silverman. I think she's, you know, she's not always great. I think she tries, <laughs> you know, her her message to Bernie supporters in 2016 at the DNC. I didn't love, but I think she's I, a, yeah, that was a misstep. I think I think she's a good heart. I think she tries. So uh, I think I'll that's fair. That I'll forgive her that. So this clip in particular, I found really striking, and I this clip is uh, from her podcast. So she to, to set it up this is a, a caller she has people call into her show huh. and so this this caller talks about her brother who asked for a recommendation to join the police force so let's listen to what happens had a brother who was on the police force in san jose and when he was starting the process to become a police officer relatives are sent out a packet. It's basically like a evaluation form, you know, whether or not your relative is cuckoo or not. And um, yeah, mine was. And so on the back of the form, you know, it said, you know, is there any reason why? And I said, yeah, don't ever give this guy a gun. He shouldn't have a gun. Wow. And I said, I didn't believe he should be a police officer. I didn't believe he uh, had the right level of uh, maturity wisdom i don't know anyway um he did become a police officer i never heard back i never you know, um he kind of my brother and i didn't have the best relationship but he felt like he needed me at that time to get into the force and he did and he wound up shooting somebody and killing him and it was the case was you know like behind closed doors, it was sealed, whatever they want to call it. It wasn't for public to find out. But my brother wound up getting off. And it always kind of, in a weird way, haunts me that, you know, I tried to let them know. And he just wasn't equipped. And unfortunately, my brother um, did pass away a few years ago, not from being on the police force, but um, he just led kind of a tragic life. So you can go wow. to um, at Sarah Kate Silverman, her Instagram, if you want to watch that full clip. But, uh, you know, the point of that clip is, I think, illustrative of the police force in general across this country. That sister tried. She knew that her brother was not a fit for the police force. Right. She warned them that he was not a fit for the police force. Her brother killed someone. And it was a, a case behind closed doors. The public didn't get to, to find out what happened and why, uh, you know, the public didn't get to find out that the sister had warned them and he got off. And imagine how often this happened. We don't know, we will never know. I, that's bad. So this was in San Jose. That's that's a uh, Silicon Valley area, Northern California. <clears throat> um, 
I am curious to know if we can find out who this gal is, maybe interview her and find out who her brother is, because I would be wanting to dig for those records. Yeah. File a CPR or a FOIA request. But but that is amazing to me that she warned them and they still didn't care and didn't want But it, it just speaks to how toxic the environment is. You know, we talked about this yesterday, the way the training is not going to solve the problem because the training these officers are given is very much this macho, um, everybody's the enemy. Uh, it's better to shoot and ask questions after. I mean, that's the kind of thing that they're fed daily, you know, in their environment and in their trainings. And most of their trainings aren't even um, up to speed. You know, we recently had that, we talked about this yesterday a little bit, the 40 millimeter less lethal rounds. They were trying to get an injunction against the LAPD uh, using them, uh, the NLG was. The judge gave them a partial order, but part of what was included in that is if the officers had the appropriate training, they would be allowed to use these less lethal uh, 40 millimeters. You know, and I'm like, I read this and I'm like, this is worthless. This is absolutely worthless because right now they're gonna send the entire Rampart division to this two hour online training and say, voila, they're trained, go at it. You know, it solves nothing. Because the idea that we have of training, right, your a common sense idea for your average civilian is like, oh, they're actually going to learn how to use these things properly and they'll think it through before they use it and it'll be much better. Yeah, that's not what happens. It's not what happens. Yeah, you, you would hope it does, but it but it doesn't. And, and you would hope that the, you know, the hiring, the, the powers of being hire these people would pay attention to a sister who says, do not hire my brother. He is not mature enough to handle this, that they would pay attention to that. But no, they no, don't. they don't. They don't. You know, and it, it also speaks to this idea that they should not be going on mental health calls. They shouldn't be going on homeless or unhoused calls. Like there's a there's a million things that we send the police to do that they should not be entrusted with doing. Um, so again, the structural changes that need to come, they're not, they haven't been addressed. Derek Chauvin's trial did not address them. It was a step in the right direction. I'm glad that he's being held accountable for his actions. But, you know, we talked about this yesterday too. We need to get rid of qualified immunity. Until we get rid of qualified immunity, there's going to be little accountability from uh, most police actions. That's just a fact. So this is a uh, Channel 4 out of New York. NYPD struggles to find new recruits as retirements also rise. Let's all shed a tear for the NYPD. Calls, yeah. for, <laughs> calls for change in the New York City Police Department have echoed across the city these past mm -hmm. few years, but the largest police force in the country is struggling to fill its ranks. With the application deadline to become a member of the NYPD extended until Tuesday, NBC New York's David uh, is asking the questions many are wondering. Who would want to become a police officer right now and why? So basically... I mean, there's an argument sociopaths, but... Right, so they're... they're but that's not what they're getting at. Yeah, so they're saying... So, but, but convincing other young people that is the challenge police departments across the country are facing, not just in New York City. There have not only been a plunge in applications, but there's also a surge in retirements. It's tough being a cop right now with all the rhetoric and things that oh, make Jesus. happening throughout the country that have an effect on New York and how we want to do our job. Oh, yeah, and lie about Molotov cocktails flying everyone, out the windows. I mean, come on now. Everyone make a frowny face. 
Exactly. Like said Chief of Chief of Department Rodney Harrison. It's really hard. <laughs> Just last month, the department instructed its officers not to take unscheduled days off ahead of the outcome of the Derek Chauvin trial, the former Minneapolis officer who was later convicted of murdering George Floyd. So why would anyone want to be a cop right now, Harrison says, to make a difference. Oh, God. Right. Harrison, who has his own share of experience with policing in the Black community while growing up in Queens, says it's not easy to address these concerns. Mm. I don't talk to the young men and women out there about a lot of the good things that come about being part of the NYPD, he said, adding that there's more to being an NYPD officer than the uniform. I started my career in Queens and Astoria. One of the things I always share with the new police officers coming on is to try different parts of the police department. <laughs> this is like such propaganda right now. I can't. You can go into become undercover, go into <laughs> go into aviation, go into computer crime. There are so many careers wow. the NYPD has. Oh man. Officer Matthew Jackson was one of the young men who heard Harrison's message. As a kid in Harlem, he was mentored by Chief Harrison. He admits battling anti-police hostility on the streets, but the positives are far greater. Uh, on and on. So I cannot believe that they actually published this. This is I, propaganda. This propaganda. It's. Yeah, it's so, cringe. This is so cringe. This is NBC. Yikes, NBC. Yeah, so it's a real, a real cringy story. I just really wanted to make fun of it. <laughs> That's yes, why. can we make fun of it? I mean, because the real story here would be like, okay, well, let's look at, let's examine the reasons why they're having a hard time rec recruiting police officers. Isn't that actually the real story here? Not publishing propaganda to get people to see exactly. them differently than what they are. Right. Maybe talk about the corruptness in the NYPD. Maybe go interview Frank Serpico about his experiences. I mean, there's a million things you could talk about. There's reasons people don't want to join the police force. And that's why we only have sociopaths or like massive psychopathy involved with the guys that do. Look what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if some people, I think, don't want to join the police force because now it is clear clearer than ever, perhaps, that this is not a group of people that you want to join. So right. maybe people who would have joined with maybe good intention later on been swept up in. Uh, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's part of the, I think part of the problem too is the way the police department and the police force has been uh, sort of j just glorified by Hollywood for decades too, right? The stories that they tell about cops, about the police force, they've, they've glorified this and, and have told tales that aren't really uh, accurate about what the police do and what they're actually like. They have made them heroes, so you know, per se. You know, like, uh, I think a great example of this right now is Jamie McBride, is who is a union boss here at the LAPD. You know, he got into it with Kobe, not Kobe Bryant, um, sorry, Le, LeBron James about a tweet that he had said about, you know, cops being murderers, and it was a perfectly acceptable tweet, but Jamie McBride went after him and even asked, told the NBA that he should be disciplined for what he said, which is an outrageous thing. It's like, are you kidding me? Then you go look at who Jamie McBride is. He's been involved in plenty of officer-involved shootings, which is their parlance for we shot someone. 
Um, his daughter has murdered, who is also Tony McBride. His daughter's Tony McBride. She has murdered somebody. Uh, but he has been hired by Hollywood on multiple occasions for movies. Uh, he's worked for Michael Bay multiple times. So this is a guy who is also a member of the Screen Actors Guild, right? And he's just uh, a big Trump supporter. You go to his social media, although a lot of these things have been deleted now. There was a photo of him that I took a screenshot of where it said Donald Trump's life, life matters, except it was a BLM logo. So that's the kind of people we're dealing with, right? Yet Hollywood glorifies this and says that they're heroes and that it's um, you know, a worthwhile endeavor and you'll be helping people not, you know, and then reality they're out here, you know, brutalizing and occupying populations with uh, you know, military grade equipment. So so now we have NBC being stenographers for the cops, which is just another form of propaganda. Well, yeah. So they're they're making it out as if it's the people who are the problem. It's the yeah, folks exactly. who are the problem. These these mean people. These these awful people. Oh, the, you know the the cops are met with such opposition on the street. These these meanies on the street. They're literally printing. You know, as if if these cops are five year olds whining. Right. And it, it's right. sort of weird article. It's, it's weird. Bad. It's just so disconnected from everything. And, you know, there's really no excuse for it at this point. Here in 2021, there's no excuse, especially, I mean, talk to any of the press that have worked a skirmish line, and they're going to have tales about how they've been brutalized by, by officers. I mean, as you know, I've been shot up by these guys a couple times. The LAPD broke my car window, like intentionally shot my window out when I was covering a protest. Well, in, in last year, I was, uh, I was, yeah, that's right. By police and lost all my equipment and they, you know, my, my phone. I don't think it can be, I, how can you excuse this? How can you excuse this? And especially when they're trying to go after first amendment rights, you can't, you cannot convince me at this point that that isn't part of the deal because we've seen, look, it's bad enough. Don't get me wrong. I am not minimizing the way protesters are treated by the police. I am not doing that at all. I think it's, it's horrific. The reason I am out there on the streets with these protesters is because I'm so appalled by how they're treated. And I want to make sure that other folks are able to see what happens, like to really see what happens and not have this NBC article, you know, thrown at them and think everything's fine. Right. Um, but the, I think that they absolutely do target the press. And I think, uh, you know, there's that night that I filmed the activist that was being beaten by a riot shield. As you guys are aware, Biden had his. Uh, address his uh, joint of, uh, address to Congress, and he announced to the surprise of many that he was going to withdraw us from make a full withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the, the summary from Axios. If you uh, you know weren't paying attention or hard exit that's an interesting framing <laughs> yeah so they they framed it as the hard exit from Afghanistan. yeah so i they, don't think that's entirely accurate but let's carry on right. <laughs> so the, the biggest foreign policy surprise from biden's president biden's first 100 days was his decision to act on a promise his predecessors had hadn't the full u.s withdrawal from afghanistan why it matters Biden didn't settle on an unconditional withdrawal because he saw a path to a stable Afghanistan without U.S. troops in the country. Instead, he argued that it was clear by now that no such path existed with them there. Flashback, 
As Donald Trump's May 1st deadline to pull out approached without any announcement from Biden, a delay became inevitable, likely with all the usual caveats about supporting the diplomatic process and responding to conditions on the ground. One Middle Eastern mm-hmm. told me knowingly that Biden's challenge was to convince Americans that he was getting out and the Taliban that he was prepared to stay. So to the surprise from Biden's mid-April announcement was not the timeline, all U.S. troops out by September 11th, but how definitive it was. This is not condition-based, a senior administration official emphasized. No counterterrorism force would stay behind. After 20 years, America was getting out. Senior leaders in the Pentagon repeated, reportedly argued against that approach behind closed doors. Former top commanders like David Petraeus did so publicly. In his speech, Biden mentioned the counter arguments such as the U.S. would be abandoning its leverage or handing its foe to victory and discarded them as a recipe for keeping American troops in Afghanistan indefinitely. So there are some points that we should discuss here. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I re-listened to Biden's speech on this right before going live. And I find it honestly hard to kind of decipher him. <laughs> I find it... I'm sorry for laughing, but yes. No, it's, it's, that can often be the case. Because I think does really do a good job of coming across as like, oh, good old boy, sincere Joe. I have a good heart. My my boy Bo was was in the war. I understand. Um, yeah, I voted for the war, but now I went in 2008, and you know, we can't keep doing this. It's clear that uh, you know it's clear that this is just gonna you know that everyone keeps saying that if we withdraw then it's just gonna leave a vacuum and um you know they're just gonna keep saying that no matter what so he he's making the right like he every argument that i have or a lot of the arguments that i have against these military industrial complex people like the hillary's and the condoleezas and the david petraeus is biden said in that speech and so in a good world that was a good speech and a good plan, but I, can I trust him? No, probably not. I want to. What are your thoughts? I think this is a very complicated situation. Let me just start with that. Um, I think when we look at George W. Bush's wars, that Afghanistan and Iraq are two totally different entities and, and different uh, domains of discourse, and I'll explain it. I'll explain why. Afghanistan has been a place that has been invaded multiple times by multiple countries, not just the United States, and it's always been a disaster. It's disaster after disaster after disaster. So I think that's the first thing we need to look at. Um, I don't know that it made sense ever to invade either Iraq or Afghanistan, but for very different reasons, right? So Iraq was obviously, this is, this is the bigger fish that they wanted to fry, so to speak. There was no, there was no evidence that was clear and true. They fabricated it. We know they went to war and fabricated evidence. That's not a controversial statement at this point. There was no weapons of mass destruction. Um, so, 
And they did this knowingly. I mean, this to me makes the entire Bush administration war criminals on, on a scale that is just beyond beyond uh, uh, understanding to me. But this is this is what we are looking at. And it really, I can say tangentially, I couldn't get that word out, that it really irritates me that people try to rehabilitate George W. Bush at this point. No, no. do not rehabilitate that guy. He's awful. Okay. He did awful things. Down there painting um, immigrants now, right? He, I just, I can't. The guy, he belongs in the Hague. He's a horrible, what he did is so unforgivable. And it was, I mean, the dead bodies on the Iraq side, on the U.S. side, like all of it is just horrifying. And for what? I, but so he tried to, I think it's worth historically looking at because he did try to loop Afghanistan and Iraq to get like all of this together, right? We do know that Al-Qaeda has always had a stronghold in Afghanistan, also not controversial. We also have given them weapons, right? It depends on our, who's our bigger enemy, Russia? Because if it's Russia all the time, then the things we've done to fight Russia that have come back to haunt us are manifold, right? Afghanistan is just one example of that. So here is um, a piece about, that has some statistics that I, that I found interesting. So the, the thing that I found interesting about this article, Out of the Hill, is Americans largely want to be out of uh, Afghanistan, and that is mm -hmm. no so clearly there's plenty of room for Trump to build an unassailable case for withdrawal, taking a swipe at the policies of George W. Bush and Barack Obama uh, and give himself a much needed boost in the polls. But mm -hmm. Trump blew it and now Biden will get the win. I would I would say maybe if Biden. Maybe. Yeah. True. The most recent polling has Americans favoring withdrawal by a 73 percent to 27 percent margin. That's pretty big. Majorities in all demographic groups and among Democrats, independents, and Republicans favor getting out. There is hardly an issue in American politics that enjoys such widespread support. Polling has been clear for the last few years that getting out of Afghanistan would be a political winner. A 2020 Koch Institute sponsored poll. Yeah. Wait, can we, can we just have that for a second yeah. as a topic of conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, Coke is sponsoring Yuga polls now. I mean, well, hang on, it was the Uco the Economist, so I guess that's really not, I would think Cato Institute would be, but that's not a stretch, I suppose. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, obviously Coke should not be sponsoring polls, but anyway. One might claim that support for withdrawal reflects a lack of knowledge of the situation. But a 2018 YouGov poll showed a majority of the public in favor of withdrawal and even higher percentages of U.S. Armed Forces veterans supporting the poll. So that is uh, an interesting statistic as well, that the Armed Forces and, um, or excuse me, veterans support withdrawal as well. So the Brookings Institution attempted to put on a brave face on public support claiming in a headline disingenuously that Americans are not unanimously war-weary on Afghanistan. So, I mean, obviously this is the Brookings Institution. Yet both polls it cited showed pluralities in favor of withdrawal. Uh, I just found those interesting, just as kind of a framing. Hillary yes. Clinton warns of huge consequences in Afghan U.S. troop withdrawal. Of course she does. Of course she does, because she's Hillary Clinton. She's a neocon. She's a neoconservative. The one who cackled about, what was it, Gaddafi? 
cackling. Yeah, God, that was horrible. I mean, granted, Gaddafi wasn't the greatest guy out there. I'm not defending him as a good person, but she is just grotesque for how she handled that. That was just, oof. And she wants to, like, drone strike um, Assange. Right, right. Just sort of uh, go back in the woods, Hillary. Henry says his work for today is done, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> awful, awful. Okay. Former U.S. Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton has warned of huge consequences of President Joe Biden's decision to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. Mrs. Clinton told CNN there was a risk to the Taliban, the Islamist group ousted in 2001 by the U.S.-led invasion, could retake control. Mm -hmm. It aims to complete the withdrawal by 11 September. However, the Taliban have been carrying out more attacks. This is what we call a wicked problem, Mrs. Clinton told CNN. Which is to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. Uh, there are only a few thousand there now, but they will all be gone uh, by the anniversary of September 11th. What do you think of that decision? Well, it's been made, and I know it's a very difficult decision. This is what we call a wicked problem. Um, you know there are consequences, both uh, foreseen and unintended, of staying and of leaving. The president has made the decision uh, to leave. And I think that uh, our government has to focus on two huge consequences. One, um, the potential collapse of the Afghan government and a takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban, uh, probably with a resumption of uh, civil war in certain parts of the country, um, but a largely uh, Taliban-run government uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future. I am determined because Delaware has an incredibly high cancer rate because of freaking DuPont. Also, DuPont is so disgusting. They're one of the DuPont kids, and by kidding, he's like 40 or whatever right now. He raped a three-year-old and got did not get in trouble. Like he got what? Yes, it happened like five years ago or something. So I'm determined. I'm gonna research the hell out of DuPont. How, how how is this even possible? Like, oh my God, I have not heard of this story. Let me- How is he not in jail? Let me pull it up. On February 6, 2009, Robert Richards admitted to raping his three-year-old daughter. Oh, yeah. it, wait a minute, what? His own daughter? Yeah. I feel horrible, he told the judge, according to court documents. There's no excuse for what I have done. The lawyer, uh, his lawyer calling the six foot four, roughly 300 pound Richards, a somewhat gentle person, argued he would not fare well in jail. Hours later, Richards walked away from the Delaware Superior Court a free man. He pleaded guilty to a charge of rape in the fourth degree, paid a fine of $4,395. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and promised to attend a high-end treatment center in Massachusetts. Judge Jan Jordan, who presided over the case, had initially considered sentencing Richards to eight years in prison. Ultimately, she gave him eight years of probation. 
I have concerns about this because arguably you should be in jail for what you did, Jordan said during the sentencing. But I think you have significant treatment needs that have to be addressed. And you have very strong family support. Oh, yeah, there would be strong DuPont family support. I am so, so I'm so yeah. angry and disgusted right now. How is this even possible? Uh, yeah. While he never worked for or had any affiliation with the DuPont company, he still benefits from the family fortune, which Forbes valued at $14.3 billion. And on and on. Uh, the case was missed by the local press. Imagine that. Wow. Fascinating. And he avoided any negative attention. That is until 2014, after his marriage had ended, and his ex-wife, Tracy Richards, sued him in civil court for monetary damages caused by his crime. Suddenly, the earlier case became a national sensation, fueled by public outrage, and many were astonished that Richard had, Richard had invaded jail time. So, that's, um, that's, that's what uh, being a DuPont will get you. I'm speechless. I know. Oh, my God. His own daughter. He, eight years wouldn't have been enough. No. no. Meanwhile, we have people serving 25 to life for smoking pot. What the f America? And being murdered for pot, Marvin Scott. I... Wow. Okay, Jen, I need a drink now. I don't know about you, but that's the most appalling thing I've heard in a very long time. I am speechless how disgusting that is. Who the f rapes their three-year-old daughter? And then doesn't do jail time for it. Right. And how, and how did that, no, how did local media just- Miss that, how do you miss that? This is just repulsive, I feel sick. That. That's what I don't get about the media. How can you be a journalist and just not report something like that? How could you just not do that? I. How can you be a person and sleep at night? Uh, as a journalist, that's your that's your job. That little girl is never going to be okay. No, never. I, I like that's um, wow. Wow. Yeah. You Jen, you got to warn me before you you uh, drop these things. I have never how like the fact that I've never heard the story and like other folks have never heard the story is just completely appalling. Yeah, I know. Um. <clears throat> Yeah. Maybe that's, yeah, that story obviously needs to be more widely shared, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, wow, Jesus. I have no words. Yeah, so I uh, fully intend on doing some DuPont journalism. And they can't actually go back and retry or, or put him in jail now. I mean, I guess the best they could do was get the civil litigation against him. I mean, but also, can you imagine being married to this guy and, and finding out about this? Like, how would you ever forgive yourself? How you, I would be saying to myself, how did I not see this? Like, well, she had to have known because it happened in 2009 and she divorced him in 2014. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's Rudy, my arch nemesis and, uh, and karma. Karma receiver. Um, how three major. <laughs> okay, so this actually, this story, um, 
this story is actually uh, about the horribleness of both Rudy Giuliani as well as the horribleness of corporate media. So this is um, a real a real win for for all good people and independent journalists. How three major news organizations all got a story about Rudy Giuliani wrong. And this harkens back to Russiagate, of course. If you'll all remember Rachel Maddow and friends and their constant uh, call of everything, you know, being Russia's fault and everything being tied to Russia, they're still doing it. So incorrect information from government sources apparently led three separate organizations, including, like, they're not like, including me, <laughs> incorrect, like Washington, this is out of the Washington Post and they were one of them. Incorrect information from government sources apparently led three separate news organizations. I have to- Jen, it's I, just like, it's just like the Iraq war we were just talking about, isn't it? They just took the source as verbatim being true without questioning it. Big mistake. Or did they, or did they do it on purpose? The New York Times? Hmm. The Washington Post, everyone. Washington Post, yeah. I mean, they're stenographers for, for War Incorporated, possibly, but I do genuinely believe that that particular reporter, and I can't remember her name now, you're, you're taking me back 20 years. Uh, I think she just never questioned it and kept reporting this stuff, which was just, and then it, it was like a house of cards, right? I don't know. I think she, well, well I don't know. I, like, I want to take a, a red pen and like delete, apparently, like information <laughs> from- I know, right? led three separate news organizations, including this publication, to publish the same erroneous claim about Rudolph W. Giuliani last week that all three later corrected. The Washington Post, The New York Times, and NBC News all reported Thursday that the FBI had briefed the lawyer to President Donald Trump that he was a target of a Russian disinformation campaign during his efforts to dig up unflattering information about then-candidate Joe Biden in 2019. In fact, the news organizations later said in corrections appended to their story Saturday that Giuliani had not been briefed by the FBI. The original stories were published after Wednesday's FBI raid of Giuliani's office and home, part of a criminal investigation of his activities in Ukraine. The corrected versions of their stories, both the Post and NBC reported that the FBI was aware Giuliani was the target of a Russian operation and that it planned to warn him about this, but ultimately did not. Hmm. So this, you know, the Post and the uh, NBC reported that the FBI was uh, a target of a Russian operation. So I even question that. Yeah. They always... They that. always say that. And they can always say this. You they can, can and do. Yeah. I mean, you can, you the new Cold this. War is the old Cold War. It's just never ending. But you can you can say this about any uh, public uh, political figure in the United States. Yeah. Any public political figure in the United States is a target of a Russian operation because that is what we do to Russia, that is what Russia does to us. Exactly, and it's a meaningless dribble. So you can, at any time, the Washington Post can make a headline mm -hmm. whenever they want 
want to about Rudy Giuliani saying this. At any time, they can make a headline about Trump saying this. At any right. time, they could make a headline about Biden saying this, but they will never do so. At any time, they could make a headline saying this about Hillary Clinton, but they right. will never do so. At any time, they could make That's a headline fair. about um, uh, any anyone that they want to, but it, they mm-hmm. won't do so when it suits their needs. So this is a very disingenuous thing. This is manufacturing consent. This is propaganda. Mm-hmm. So um, the three news organizations were reluctant Monday to discuss their sources. Oh, imagine that. And reporting methods. <laughs> imagine that. Why would you be reluctant to discuss your reporting methods? That is uh, very sketchy. In its correction, NBC said the incorrect claim about a Giuliani disinformation briefing was based on a source familiar with the matter. But a second source now says the briefing was only prepared for Giuliani and not delivered to him. In part over concerns, it might complicate the criminal investigation of Giuliani. The Washington Mm -hmm. Post, which was the first to present the briefing claim, originally cited several current and former US officials and people familiar with the matter as the sources of information it later retracted. But it appears that, com- that competitive pressures and a lack of response from Giuliani and his representatives on deadline helped push the stories in the wrong direction. What an admission! <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. That's- Come on, Washington Post. I mean, this is an organization that has every resource at its at its fingertips. Wow just uh just incredible make that the headline (laughs) yeah they buried the lead yeah (laughs) we weren't rigorous enough conceded times editor dean bequette in an interview monday Hmm. bequette said the times reporter scrambled to match what appeared to be a major giuliani scoop by the post after it was published thursday and that's the thing you know the the the, the times is supposed to be the, the paper of record uh, the Washington Post is, is essentially on the same level. By the same level, I mean they're all terrible, um, and yeah. <laughs> and they they're they're trying to out scoop each other. They mm-hmm. probably definitely had the same source, the same propagandistic source, and they're just this is not journalism. This is not no, it's not journalism. This is disgusting and it's all... I mean, they're not really, like, it's one thing to say I'm going to protect an anonymous source and I'm going to verify what this person has told me. Uh, That's one thing, right? It's another thing to do what they're doing. They're just saying, according to several U.S. officials, right? Well, if it's U.S. officials, you're going to have to get one of them to go on record. Yeah, yeah. Or in the very least, supply you with a paper trail that's verifiable. Yeah, and th- this is something that uh, Jordan and I are working on a, a story, a Flint story right now, another Flint story. And I have to tell you, the level of vetting that we're going through for sourcing is, oh my gosh, just about 10 levels deeper right. and more thorough than, than the New York Times, apparently. The The lawyer who's so a story for those who, who don't know, um, before publishing a story, it goes through uh, editing, it goes through an editor, right. it goes through a, a check with fact checker, and it goes through a lawyer to make sure for, for deep investigative stories, especially when right. something that might op- open you up to liability as a paper if you publish. 
Right. Yeah. Especially if you are <clears throat> revealing information about people, public figures or, or people who may right. go after you. Corrupt uh, public you, officials. Public officials. Yes. So we are corrupt police officers. Very. We're very we're being very, very thorough and the lawyer is being extremely thorough. And so these are supposed to be the top newspapers in the entire world. And um, I tell you what, Jen, they, if we came to them with a really fully vetted story, they would not print it as easily as they printed this. No, they would probably give us a hard time. That's what slays me. They you know what I'm saying? We've tried. <laughs> Oh, see, exactly, right? I they, think uh, the New York Times tr tried to steal our story once, but that's about it. That does not shock me. <laughs> Meanwhile, the reporters on the story had attempted to reach Giuliani for comment before they published, but the lawyer did not respond, apparently because his phone and other electronic devices had been confiscated during the FBI raid. His attorney, <laughs> Robert Costello... He must have had an iPhone. <laughs> His attorney, Robert Costello, did not respond to McClure's for comments by wow. this reporter Thursday. Um, so they're talking about the corrections. Um, oh, so the, the, they're also saying the Post initially said OAN, One America News, which is oh, uh, God. like the worst. Well, between that and Newsman, had been warned by the FBI as well. In I think fact, OAN not, might be worse, actually. Yeah. So that's what it might be. Uh, might be. So they're they're saying they're saying that they potentially withheld the information from Giuliani after all because it might compromise the investigation. But what reason would there be for withholding that information from OAN? So it's this is a bizarre. That makes, yeah, story. that is bizarre. That is really bizarre. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I gotta ponder that one. And this is so. And then this is what happened. CNN also picked up the inaccurate post story, repeating its inaccurate claim during a segment Friday. So all of these um, outlets took each other's story up. Right. Well, if one publishes it, it gives cover for the second. That's sort of how the House of Cards goes. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, the, New the Washington Post editors are going to say, well, the New York Times picked it up. We're safe. There's a degree of safeness to, to the story now. Yeah. Well, and I have to wonder was this on purpose that they published this or was it truly a mistake or was the source hmm. truly mistaken? So mm -hmm. was it on purpose for the headlines? Because people don't really read the reactions all they That's the damage is done generally, right. Right. So that's the same sort of I mean this is obviously a very different topic, but you know, the like when Bernie won Iowa, but Pete Buttigieg took the headline, the damage yeah. is already done because the headline went out there and that's all people read. So with, with Giuliani, like the, the headline went out there, the damage is already done. Obviously, I don't care about any damage to Giuliani, but right. but I do care about truth and journalism. So yeah. I don't know what happened here, but it's fishy. <laughs> well, it is fishy. And then, of course, they always hand the football back, the, the uh, not the football, the toxic football, I should say. Like, you're now, like, kind of validating his claims of fake news. Yes. I mean, that's the worst part. 